Welcome to Bachelor Theory. My name is Julia Delois, and y'all, I'm here with my first ever guest on the pod. I'm so happy about it. I couldn't ask for a better guest. She's a great friend. She's a terrific actor. She's a prolific writer. And as of this damn year, she's a published author of a whole ass book. Can you even imagine? Welcome to the pod, Sarah Dern. <laughs> oh my God. Whenever anyone introduces me, I'm like, whoa, who is she? <laughs> she sounds great. Well, you are great. That's so cool. <laughs> now, most of all, more than any of those things, you're a Bachelor fan. <laughs> the biggest. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about recent writing you've done and maybe your book a little bit too also? A lot of my writing centers on film and feminism and strangely enough the middle ages i studied the middle ages in college <laughs> yeah. as one does um and thought i would do nothing with it and it's been strangely this getting a medieval studies degree was a, a very lucrative move in terms of my writing career at least in that a lot of what i end up writing about is um sort of historical takes on film and TV coming out. I write a lot about, I'm trying to think of recent articles I've written. Oh, I just wrote an article about like the eggnog riot of 1826. No which shit. Fascinating. Who wow. Who knew? It was at West Point. It was like all these like horny teenage guys who weren't allowed to drink and they're like, fuck that. And they like smuggled in whiskey and made eggnog. Because back in the day, eggnog was always spiked. And they oh. attacked teachers and destroyed school. So that's the sort of stuff I write about. Um, and then, Your yeah, book. that strangely, like, kind of led to this book. I know. Um, I am the author of a book called The Beginner's Guide to Alchemy. And it all came about because of an article I wrote on alchemy. I was really interested in alchemy. I studied it as part of what I was studying with the medieval stuff in college. And I wrote an article about it. And then this publisher reached out and was like, hey, would you want to write a book? And I was like, are you a scam? <laughs> and then yeah, I was like, yeah. it doesn't usually happen that way. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. So Sarah, you, I've heard you call yourself a nerd so many times, which I always think <laughs> of like a nerd as someone who's like not good looking. And you guys, if you saw Sarah. Oh, nerd, but there's people would... on The Bachelor that are like, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I know. When a hot girl, when a hot girl like calls herself a nerd, it's usually bad. I know that you I know that your nerdism, like, uh, one, I disagree a little bit because you're very hot, but I also, uh, I know that it comes from a place of like, you are actually interested in some weird shit, not these like girls on the bachelor who like make one pun and are like, yeah. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> so you're a real ass nerd. Yeah. They're like, I'm into taxidermy. I am Kendall. <laughs> So you being a nerd is actually um, yes. what brought you here today because you have been telling me about a very interesting, not theory, I mean, it's it's kind of facts. This just makes sense. So there's been this sort of idea I've been thinking about for a while um, in terms of talking about The Bachelor. So a lot of our conceptions of love and what we think of as love in today's world really stems from 
the medieval concept of courtly love. That's where this idea of like, you have one true love of a love you would be willing to die for of a, your person, a soulmate that all has roots in this idea of courtly love, which comes from this um, l brand of literature in the middle ages called romances. It's actually where we get the term romance. So you can see like all the oh, things yeah. intertwining. Um, so it's a French term, it's romance and it's these, courtly love poems and stories that would be told in the French court. Um, like Eleanor of Aquitaine was a big prolific um, patron of this form of stories. And a lot of these stories are about not love within a marriage. So about love of, it's usually like a knight who's like super hot and the princess and it's like about them getting it on so it's always this affair so it's not something that coincides with marriage and then so the knight wouldn't like marry the princess then no it was the just princess like, was married this was like the queen whoa. like King Guinevere, like king arthur that's considered a courtly love story so right. um you know guinevere is already married to king arthur but she has this whole thing with lancelot yeah they're kind of bfgf yeah yeah and so this idea of love was never attached to marriage because marriage in the middle ages is very much a contract it's a negotiation it's uh it's it the idea of it coinciding with love didn't exist like so if you can it's kind of hard to imagine because in our modern society we have intertwined those two things so much where you know, love and marriage are almost synonymous with one another. But in the Middle Ages, they were separate things. And then you have sort of, as you move through the centuries, those two things start to intertwine. And it really comes from a place of like, women, like getting more autonomy and kind of, you see this move away from, you know, a marriage of you know, you have this fortune, I have this land, let's get married and we can combine those two things. And you start seeing love matches, you know, like right. think Jane Austen, like that's when some of that shifting starts to happen. Like, oh, you, you know? should actually care for your partner. It should be yeah. someone that, you know. <laughs> yeah, someone you might want to get on with. Right. I mean, like not, <laughs> and I think that's a double-edged sword because it's not to say that in the Middle Ages, you know, marriage always sucked. It was just like the the barometer of what a marriage should be. It was like, if we get on pretty well, that's a good marriage. Whereas nowadays it's like, you must love me, be my person, be the only one for Everything me completely in every way. Yeah, wow. And so it's been like a steady shift. What a journey and, from there to here. But those stereotypes, like the stereotypes of like, a love that will complete you. And like, there's also, there's all these different tropes that you see in courtly love literature, like um, like women playing hard to get, the man pursuing. Mm. Um, sometimes that's even broken down into like really like hunter, hunt, like hunter hunted metaphors, like in very blatant ways. The This is interesting. So one of the most popular courtly love stories, it was basically, so the we have the most manuscripts of the Bible in religious texts, but the 
most manuscripts we have from the Middle Ages of anything that's not Bible related, Bible related, the most secular manuscripts were of this one book called The Romance of the Rose. And it's crazy. It's all about like, essentially this woman being locked in a garden and she's a rose and then her her rose gets violated in this very graphic like it's super graphic (laughs) um it's a lot about virginity and like so those ideas that come from courtly courtly love literature in a lot of ways have gotten morphed in you know through the centuries we're talking like this is like 1300 so of course they've like changed and sort of adapted and become other things but you know, stereotypes that we have of what love is, that the bachelor co-ops in many ways, you can trace those stereotypes all the way back to the 1300s. So I guess that's all to say, like, I think bachelor producers are very aware that they are creating a show that is, you know, sort of preying or co-opting many stereotypes and assumptions we have about what love is what love should look like there's like I wish I could think of like specific challenges maybe you can help me but like there's lots of challenges I feel like and like this sort of competition for love that you can find roots in terms of courtly love literature it's like who's fighting the hardest who's I mean they always have like the like it's almost too on the nose they have like the wrestling you know inevitably like yeah wrestling in lingerie or yeah. the are like playing a you know contact sport in their underwear yeah whatever it is yeah like, and that's sort of a lot a lot of the stuff I think around virginity and around um like the overnight dates like the fantasy suites mm-hmm. and the sort of like we just stayed up all night talking and like this like avoidance of saying sex and any right the coquettish yeah <laughs> yeah the sort of like I mean that has you can just trace a lot of that to courtly lover literature and a lot of like stereotypes that sometimes predate that literature and sometimes are after that but you can just there's a lineage of why those stereotypes around love and marriage exist today totally totally so to that end about like yeah being like a yeah competitor like a sort of valiant you know specimen I I did a little <laughs> light research before the pod because I wanted to get on your level. I wanted to do <laughs> some homework. Um, so I did find this one article that I thought broke it down for me uh, really well. And I found a few things that I want to talk about. And one thing is, um, to yeah, it is exactly about that. Okay, this is from Love and Chivalry in the Middle Ages by Laura Ashe. Um, just want to say I know that. <laughs> okay, so. This quote, to be a great knight no longer meant only to be great in battle. It was necessary to be a perfect courtier too, a sportsman, musician, poet, and to play the sophisticated games of courtly love. So here's what I, like, I am just thinking about, and this, like, this is really, it seems to be very gendered in the Bachelor universe, like Mm. many things are, but a lot Mm. of times the male lead, I mean, he, like, Matt, Matt James, Colton, like they've played football, they've played a sport, yeah. sort of this valiant and like and sportsmen, and now they need to find like the piece that completes them. They've been focusing on the game and their career. Yeah. And Even like, I mean, 
Ari is like a race car driver. Pretty, you know, I would I mean, call like, him like a valiant sportsman, but Ari was a race car driver. But even like not sports, like, I mean, Pete, the pilot, it's still like a show, something like kind yeah. of brave and daring yeah. and a show of like skill and athleticism. Yeah. And we don't really see that with the women. It's like, I mean, Tasha is sort of an influencer and like, yeah, just like the careers that the women are coming from, it's not often touted yeah. in the same way that the men's are, where it's like, you know, yeah, like he has everything on the field, but he, yeah. needs, you know, like he needs his, his one other right, cheerleader. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that quote is perfect. And it sums up a lot of what I'm saying very succinctly. Um, yeah, I think that's so, I mean, and also there's this aspect of sports in today's world are, and in the past have always been sort of a placeholder for war mm. in that, you know, it's like you have your tribe, your city has their sports team, that city has their sports team and these tribes go against each other and they fight and one will yeah. win, yeah. you know, in that, like when you have, Colton or Matt James who have played sports at a very professional like a, I don't I mean Colton was professional-ish and then yeah, is Matt yeah. James just playing college um well this is getting erased from the narrative that he was actually uh he was on the Saints for a time I I mean he never played obviously I don't think I don't I feel like they played that up so much in Colton's season Oh yeah. And like, well, I think I think Colton was like a higher level. I think Matt did mm, not get to that level. So yeah, that but mm, that's erased from the narrative. He's got some New Orleans ties, which we love. Um, yeah, yeah here for it. Mostly are saying like, yeah, he played you know college uh, Wake Forest. He played at Wake Forest. Okay, okay. And then this also idea. So like, not only are you good at this sort of war placeholder you know, that being sports, but you're also proficient at love and you can like, mm -hmm. I feel like, I wonder if this is me thinking out loud a bit, but the bachelorettes, I feel like sometimes there is maybe like a reason why they're still single or like there's more like thought around like, why are they with someone they're not with someone because of this like it needs to be explained it's sort of a whereas the male yeah, leads yeah, it's like yeah. they're just sort of like now they're ready or like they could always have gotten a woman but now they're ready to settle down so they're on the show <laughs> like, right yeah we always like, have to like kind of find out the narrative yeah, and there's also the just like I feel like the race car thing for Ari got played in so much and then like you know what like pilot Pete, like he was, how many planes did he fly his season? So there were so many planes. planes. So many It's like, planes. we get it. <laughs> and the women who even have careers coming on the show, that plays a little bit less a part of the challenges or the narrative oftentimes. Right. And that, that sort of speaks to this thing that I always think about when I watch The Bachelor. And it also ties into another one of my quotes that I wrote down for my homework. So I'm going to read this and, and yes. talk about it. Okay. Each night is to fight for the sake of his lady. With his victories, he earns her love and defends her honor. He is absolutely loyal to her and will follow her every command, whatever happens, whether she sends him on an impossible quest, banishes him from her company, 
or stands accused of some terrible crime, <laughs> which I love. I mean, is this a, a book about chivalry or is it a bachelor recap? <laughs> right, seriously. <laughs> um, so with what you just said reminds me of like, I always think about how lopsided the process is. Like it's sort of in, in like the getting to know you of the lead and each of the individual partners. And you have this mm-hmm. dynamic where like, the partner, I mean, the contestants are sort of like, they're saying like, I'm so grateful I got to spend this time with him. Like he chose me. I'm so like, thank you for picking the, you know what I mean? And it's like that dynamic of like, he had to bestow his time upon you. That feels like a bummer if you think about like, well, we should be coming to this, you know, possible match as like equals and negotiating our own terms sort of, you know? Um, So yeah, this, this idea that like, the contestants have to be like thankful for the time that they get. And it's something that the lead gave them. And so this quote really reminded me of that because it's like, he, he has to follow her every command, whatever happens, you know what I mean? And the contestants yeah. are sort of under pressure to let, I mean, they're, yeah, they're doing everything on his whim. And like you said, I didn't really think about that before the challenges and stuff are, and the dates are always, lead focus and it's like yeah throw a, yeah and it makes me think too about how so much so inevitably in the show the show is structured in such a way that there's always going to be a power differential between the lead and the contestants always right, right. in a lot of ways that power difference is something you see in courtly love literature a lot oftentimes I feel like maybe the bachelorette lines up better with courtly love literature and in specifically because it's oftentimes in these stories a queen who then has an affair Mm. so it's usually so this is like one of the things that uh when people who haven't studied the middle ages get wrong a lot so women could own property and had far more influence in the Middle Ages than they did during and post the Renaissance. The Hmm. rights for women once the economy shifted from a land economy, because in the Middle Ages, it's mostly about land. It's about agriculture. There are cities, but you don't have the big city structures you start getting in the Renaissance and post-Renaissance. As the economy sort of switches to a more individualist, more merchant, more city heavy culture and because of that because it starts putting the onus on the individual and like individual wealth women sort of get booted because in the past in the middle ages you would want you know say you didn't have any sons you'd want the land to still go to your daughter right so women could inherit land and also because men were so oftentimes off fighting battles and whatnot like during the crusades when all those kings, literally kings of kingdoms, left to go to the Middle East for a while, <laughs> the women were left behind to rule the palace and rule the, the roost, so to speak. So women had, and it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's not like women were like, you know, totally empowered and emancipated in the Middle Ages. But I think we tend to think of history as this like upward arc like the moral arc of the universe, like Martin Luther King Jr. says. 
But in reality, there's ebbs and flows of it. Like women gain more power and then lose power. Like yeah. the Victorian period was like a really low point for right. women. It was bad times. Um, yeah. Really bad. <laughs> Don't go Victorian period if you can time travel um, as a woman. Yeah, just like that power differential and the fact that queens are often the ones like choosing to take lovers and it's like the knight who has to, like if you think, I think probably the courtly love story that most people are familiar with is King Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot. So like Lancelot is this knight and Guinevere is this queen and she has the power. He's she does like get booted boy. to a nunnery eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Bummer. <laughs> bummer. But yeah, he's essentially the pool boy. He's like the hot pool boy. Wow. I love. And yeah. So like if you think about that and like the bachelorette is sort of this, there's this one woman with most of the power in that situation. And then she has these, you know, she's surrounded by these quote unquote knights that she gets to choose from and they have to do her whim and do these contests. And if they don't do their contests, they're going to get booted. You know, it's like that desperation, like Corley love literature is a lot about desperation and sort of like the fact that you need to put yourself into awkward situations and do things you don't want to do to prove your love. Like the idea of proving your love, like with physical acts, like, I'm going to go kill that dragon to show I love you is something the bachelor and bachelorette is all about. They especially the bachelorette, especially totally. I was just yeah. talking about this on the recap episode this week is like, because it is, I know you're not, you're not caught up in the season, so I won't, I know, I I won't know. say it, but it's all good. Um, no, but it's okay. <laughs> there is uh, like a, a physical challenge team sport kind of thing. And yeah, I, was I mean, isn't there always, like, yeah, yeah. Um, how like it's like whoever like wins this race while they're tied to an anchor or whatever the fuck like is the best partner for Peter or yeah. like whoever right. you know? like it's like and that idea that is courtly love literature like that idea okay. that you like the strongest person the one who like wins the race will be the best match I mean there's like other influences in that but that's certainly an idea of that you find roots in quarterly love literature from the middle ages. So this is like, it's just crazy. It's like, this is a 700 year old <laughs> concept that the bachelor is co-opting and sort of modernizing to a degree, but yeah, it's real old <laughs> what they're doing. Like the totally. structure of it. So this is a pure bachelor question. Uh, do you think that the power differential that's inherent in the bachelor, do you think that that is like part of what makes it really tough to like transition to real life afterwards? What do you think that that plays any role? Totally. I think like there's, I mean, it's that it's the fact that you have had cameras around you for your whole relationship. It's the fact that, I mean, that's, connected to the power differential but the fact that you're just dating 30 other people and that you're so removed from your every I mean the theory of the bachelor in some ways is like by being removed from your everyday life you can find love more quickly because you know you're only focused on love that's like something you hear the leads say like I think Peter said it like the fact that like it's so precious that we just have to focus on this one thing right now but in reality like so much of a relationship I feel like is negotiating your life 
totally with that person. And when you're just like uprooted from your life, put it and like, it's the fact that you live in different cities when you are done with the bachelor and you're now long distance and somebody's going to have to move or you're going to be long distance. Like there's so many reasons why I feel like the couples implode. (laughs) Totally. And like, we're hearing more, I think in recent seasons about how the fantasy suites are, you know, it's not Mm. only a place to have sex, but it's the place where there's no cameras on you. So that's actually the time to talk about money and logistics and like who would move where. But, and that's good. I mean, that's a good thing. It's like, I'm glad that they have that time and that they split it evenly, um, (laughs) ostensibly between sex and like real talk. But there's just no way that like that conversation, like you could have that conversation and feel like you were totally on the same page. There's just no way that like that one conversation can speak to like the real life experience of what it's like when you get out there and you're actually living in. And it's hard because for me, I would love to see those logistics conversations happening. Right. That's the most fascinating part. So So compelling. Yeah. Yeah. So compelling. Like the fact that like none of us are buying the pure fantasy element of The Bachelor because we all know like it's a reality TV show. Emphasis on reality. Like there needs to be some conversations that happen around logistics and we never see those. Right. Well, we're also like, I mean, I feel like we are in, I mean, we're in a golden age of reality, of television, of reality television. But when The Bachelor started, we were not well-versed in, in, in reality TV. It was maybe 2003, I think. Um, and if you've watched like reality shows from back then during <laughs> Even older than that. Even older. I think it's like his. Uh, isn't it in his like twentieth year? Yeah, something? yeah. So it start, I think two thousand. Anyways, so I mean, in quarantine, I uh, rewatched The Simple Life, among other things, with um, Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. So good, but it really—I mean, watching what we thought of as like reality TV then, I think that was two thousand four—is um, like insane. Right. So now we have a lot more shows that we feel like get like a lot deeper into it or a lot more like authentically, you know, like, um, so yeah, I feel like, I feel like that wasn't, that wouldn't have been something that we would have wanted in the beginning. We were just getting used to this like game show. Mm. They're competing. It's real. you know. And, and now in the last few years, because we, yeah, we're, we're more like how, like we want to see the realest stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're already seeing so many instances, especially with this sort of pipeline that's been created of contestant to Instagram influencer that happens for basically all the contestants that go on The Bachelor now. You know, so many of them start podcasts, start all this, this presence they have online inevitably, inevitably means that there's sort of this back and forth that happens and like the two start influencing each other the social media starts influencing the show and the show starts influencing the social media and the two aren't really separate it's like the show continues and like honestly the more interesting part of the show continues on Instagram after an episode airs right and I think like I mean I think a big part of that is like strategic on their end too right like they 
found out that people, I mean, people love behind the scenes. People love it. You know, it's just like a feeding frenzy. So they like, I think they figured out that that is like interesting and compelling to people. People want more of that. And so they do like, they choose what shots to put in the show. So when they choose like the bachelorette like talking to her producer or like a hidden camera shot of yeah. like through the window through the blind yeah like that I mean they're creating for us the illusion they they want to let us in it's very strategic the ways that they're letting us in and the ways yeah. that they're not and also like hearing about the like relationships leads and contestants form with their producers mm-hmm. and sometimes that producer is heavily influencing them and being really manipulative it makes me think of champagne gate <laughs> and the fact like oh yeah how did they how did no one think this is clearly like a producer made this right <laughs> yeah that's, that's actually that's the perfect example I'm so glad you said that that's absolutely the perfect example <laughs> it's like, yeah I just like I think the crazy thing about the show is that you get no say which is sort of obvious but you get no say about how you're edited right and that's the scary thing like I think like if I think if I were to ever go on the show, I you know I I feel like I'm a self assured, confident woman, and like I think seeing how I was portrayed and it would inevitably be different than how I see myself. Like I feel like that alone would mean years of therapy. It's also interesting. I think like Hannah Ann on Peter season, so she's friends with other Hannah Hannah G right and I think because of that she knew how to work the game she knew how to even the fact that she went as Hannah Ann and not like Hannah insert last initial that was like a conscious move I think on her part and it was smart because she's not like another Hannah she's Hannah Ann right that's very savvy right from the that's totally true she Hannah Ann like it feels Hannah Ann feels like if you like had a bot watch 10,000 hours of The Bachelor and like <laughs> made it spit out uh, the ideal contestant. It's like, yeah, Hannah Ann is like yeah. Bachelor AI. <laughs> She's yeah. perfectly manufactured for this world. Definitely. Did, did this just dawn on you like the very first time you saw the show, or was it a slow burn and you were having like kind of this slow? epiphany about like oh my gosh all these ties to so I've always loved rom-coms and in many ways The Bachelor coincides with many stereotypes of the rom-com genre I think the connection is like rom-coms are sort of modern versions of these medieval stories that I was reading in school and then as I got inducted into The Bachelor world the Bachelor is even more clearly, I think, drawing on those courtly love stereotypes. And it was even clearer the connections because in rom-coms, there's a bit more distance, but The Bachelor and like the structure of the show and the sort of like, I will show you my love by hurting myself, by like succeeding at these challenges. And, you know, that idea, there's just so much in there about you know, sort of like winning someone. The whole idea of like winning someone is a courtly love idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just been something I've been sort of ruminating on for a while, <laughs> I guess. 
watching The Bachelor, just like knowing that it's drawing on history and that everything we kind of do in life and every story that's created that is present is always a remix of these past stories. And if you go far enough back, you can keep remixing all the way to, you know, the Bible and even older. Right. There are like seven stories. Right. And then we just, yeah. We just start remixing. (laughs) Totally. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Dern. Please um, tell people where they can find your book, The Beginner's Guide to Alchemy. Yes, it's on the Amazon. And you can also, if you don't know about bookshop.org, that's a really good resource. It's um, basically Amazon, but goes through local bookstores. Totally. Um, So you are supporting local bookstores. And it's, yeah, it's The Beginner's Guide to Alchemy. Um, it's an amazing book. I learned so much. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I was a true beginner and it's the most amazing book. Y'all go find it. Yeah. If anyone wants to get in touch too, um, I'm Sarah Dern 3 on Instagram at Sarah Dern 3. I also run a really cool Instagram about historical women and that's at remember underscore the these underscore ladies. Remember these ladies. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yay. Thank you, Julia. (laughs) 